Yes, that is right. We are back with another episode of the SNL Stats Roundtable podcast. Thank you all for checking it out. I am your host, John, as always, and we have a lovely panel to break down the Jason Bateman and Morgan Wallen episode from this past week. But first, if you only check us out for our roundtables, you missed some really fun shows we did the last few weeks. First, we had the SNL by the Numbers Roundtable with stats guru Mike Murray and EW's Andy Hoglin. We broke down all the analytics, basically talking about screen time and appearances for all the cast members over the first six episodes of the season. It was a really fun show. We also had our super fans, Sammy, Bill, Haskell, and Haynes take over the podcast, rank some things, play some games. It was a really fun show if you're looking for some SNL fun and games. And then last week, I spoke with James Stevens. He is an SNL memorabilia collector, and he showed off some of his really cool merchandise he's collected over the last 40 years. And we spoke about if SNL needs to do a better job preserving some of that stuff. So it was a really good conversation, and I hope you check it out. But now, on to tonight. She is the senior TV editor for Collider, Liz Shannon Miller. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Good. It's, it's really fun to be back here. It's, you, you run a fun show here. Oh, thanks, Liz. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. Uh, how was your break over the last few weeks not watching SNL? Um, weird, weird, surreal and weird. It was, it, I honestly, I mean, maybe even before pandemic times, but especially now, like the ritual of watching Saturday Night Live, you know, live as it airs has become like something that really cemented in my schedule. Like I just, it's my Saturday night plan, especially because it's it starts, you know, I'm, I'm West Coast, so it starts at 8.30 now. Like, SNL always used to be a thing that, you know, West Coasters never got to really experience live properly because, you know, even if you did watch it at 1130 Pacific time, all the best jokes would have already been spoiled on Twitter. And now we're on the same page. It's all great. Yeah. So I I, I was glad to have have like my, you know, have, have my Saturday night plans in place. Okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, especially for those West Coasters, I know it was a big deal a few years ago when they announced that, that they're live across the country at 1130. So that was really cool. Or I guess you guys see it at 830. Um, Andy, welcome back to the podcast. We uh, had you on a few weeks ago for the By the Numbers and on for a few shows and everybody loves hearing from you. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks again for, for having me on, John. Um, and I just want to echo what uh, what Liz was saying. It, it's so great to have uh, SNL back structuring our, our Saturday nights, you know, in, in 2020, we, we need that kind of uh, uh, consistency and comfort. Um, so was, I was pleasantly surprised to, to watch this week's episode. Yeah, exactly. And for those who do not know Andy, and it's your first time hearing from him, he is the SNL recapper for Entertainment Weekly, and he also does articles for Vulture. He speaks to plenty of SNL alumni. And uh, I know you wrote a great recap this week, so I encourage everybody to go check that out at entertainmentweekly.com. And now uh, bringing in Bill Kenny. He is one of our super fans, a guy who has a 34 streak of never missing an SNL episode. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, it's, re- it's my pleasure. Ready for my five timers jacket next time. So, <laughs> well, we're getting we're getting there. We're gonna start. We're gonna have to start talking about that in the new year a little bit more to see who actually um, gets there. But can I ask a question? Uh, yeah, of course. Have you always watched it? You watch it live every time. Like, you, have you ever done taped away? Uh. I watch it that night, uh, okay. either on VCR or DVR back in the day. But I do watch it that night. I don't watch it two or three days later. So no. yeah, I was, I was I watching, back in my college days. I was not sitting in my house watching <laughs> SNL live. So. <laughs> You're you were my baseball guy for a while, weren't you? Bill? That's, yes. Yeah. Like sometimes those games run uh, run a little late on on the right. Weekend. Yeah, I'd be at work until eleven or twelve. So yeah. Right. 
Okay, and uh, and Bill, I didn't get a chance to ask you how were your last few weeks. We haven't heard from you since the Super Fan Panel. Good. I'll just echo the same. I mean, it, it's uh, it's great to have a live episode back and running. Uh, it was sorely missed for the last three weeks. So, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, I on you know Saturday afternoon, I really felt it. And for those people who are watching, you know, this podcast, I'm sure you're such a big SNL fan that you kind of feel in the afternoon on a Saturday when a new episode's coming and it's the start of a new run. You don't know what the expectations are. I mean, you think. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, the writers and the cast, you know, they spend weeks preparing because they have the time off. But no, they, they come in at the beginning of the week, you know, start it off as if it's a new week of the show. And but but for the fans, I mean, it's just the anticipation is growing. And especially after six episodes to start the season, it was really, really exciting to get back. And, uh, you know, the way I want to start the podcast tonight is do a little bit of a state of the union. So, Liz, I'll start with you. We haven't heard from you in a while. Um, tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about SNL this season. I believe probably the last time we heard from you, I think, was the Adele episode. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, tell me tell me how you're how you're feeling. I mean, I think they're settling into I think they're, they're, they've, they've settled into what it means to make a live comedy show in this particular time and place pretty well uh i think they're still kind of they're still, still kind of leaning into the easy stuff and i'm sure we're going to get into that um a little you know more than perhaps a more daring show would and yet i think uh they, they're finding unique ways to play with the COVID of it all uh that you know i wouldn't necessarily have expected so i think on balance like i think you know there's a lot to talk about when it comes to how how SNL reflects our current state of being. And I think that's one of the reasons why we keep talking about it. Like, you know, this show has been going for so many years and yet we can't escape like it as a cultural force, even, you know, even the people who don't like it, who don't regularly watch, like they're still talking about it. And I think all of it just kind of adds up to what it, what it, what it, it's able to reflect about us on a weekly basis. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And and Andy, I mean, uh, like I said, you know, we had these six episodes, and then in the last couple of weeks, you know, we were we weren't really sure uh, if we were going to get these next three episodes. But then we got this amazing announcement where we have Bateman, Chalamet, and then Kristen Wiig coming back, and you know, the excitement's all there. So so tell me where your head's at about you know last last Saturday and kind of where we are state of the union wise. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, if you think about it, 2020 has been just such a strange and, and stressful year for, for not just the country, but for a show like SNL in particular, um, you know, seeing how they, you know, like was, how, like Liz was saying, like, how do they adapt in real time to all the challenges and, and pressures that are going on uh, with, uh, you know, putting on a, a live show and reacting to everything that's going on in the country. You know, so I think there's a lot of challenges and, you know, we're at kind of a unique, unprecedented uh, place for the show. You know, we have a, a very overstuffed, packed cast uh, that, that leads to a lot of waterlogging. Um, you know, we have uh, this addiction to celebrity cameos and, and, and their material, um, you know, is, is uh, often viral, but maybe not as, as often in, insightful. Uh, and and then just the the specter of of the election and the the pandemic, uh, you know, kind of creates this this very um, interesting dynamic uh, for the show. And then you know, also like again, like Liz was just saying, I was I was thinking to myself when you first asked the question, you know, uh, we saw recently uh, the the news by Warner Brothers is going to be having um, you know all their theatrical films uh, streaming in 2021. You know, the the streaming wars have have really fragmented. 
the entertainment experience. And SNL is is kind of the the last man standing. It's it's one of the few monoliths in, in pop culture that gets everybody talking and and people from all walks of life of are, are following. Um, so seeing it, um, you know, uh, kind of meet the moment and 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 really be defined in, in that way in, in today's world is is pretty compelling and, and fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to get to Bill in a second, but you did bring up a really interesting point, Andy, which I want to turn to Liz for a second, because Liz, you work in the space where you cover a lot of different TV shows. And we did have that announcement this week about movies that are going to be streamed online. So I am curious just to get your opinion for two seconds about something like that for those, you know, because it is really, uh, you know, the talk of, of everything now for TV and movies is, is everybody's like, you know, wh where the eyeballs are going. So I'm curious, you know, your thoughts on that. And, and does it relate to potential views on a live comedy show well i mean i think the basic fact of the matter is a lot of a lot of the fact a lot of the the, the big controversy surrounding the idea of just like is are we sacrificing the theatrical experience for streaming i think a lot of it comes down to you know getting people to to tune into something at the same time and that's something that SNL has a real lock on. And that's something that really, really, even if, even if it's not great, you know you want to watch it at 8.30 or 11.30 just because you want to be in the, part of the same conversation. And that's something that's, that's something that the streaming platforms have really struggled to achieve. And even when, and when those successes happen, they're kind of startling. Like, uh, I mean, not to get us totally off track, but, uh, I know my family watched uh, Happiest Season on Thanksgiving night after we finished mm -hmm. dinner. I know of at least three other households that did the same thing. All weekend, the conversation was about Happiest Season. And that's the sort of thing that like HBO, Max, and other platforms are hoping will happen when they do this sort of release. But to do something on that level, like, you know, SNL has been doing this for 46 years. It's pretty good at making that happen. Uh, the it's more of a fluke when something like Happiest Season happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it was something that I was a little surprised didn't get covered in the show at all this past Saturday because that was like a huge you know piece of news over the week um, and we didn't really see uh, that being talked about very much. But uh, Bill, let me bring you in. I mean, we're, like I said, we're talking about State of the Union. Give me where your head's at about SNL and everything we just talked about. Uh, I think that we... Uh... We saw what almost typically happens every time there's a presidential election season where, you know, the show's at level 100 for the first few episodes and, you know, there's going to be the ultimate letdown. We have the added bonus of COVID at this point, which, you know, like you said, we didn't know if we were going to even have shows in December. Um, so I think looking at it, there was the mix of uh, excitement and uh, keeping your expectations low. Uh, especially with someone, I mean, Jason Bateman is, is a superstar and, and, but he's only had one time on SNL, you know, Chalamet has never been on SNL. So, you know, the kind of, uh, lowered expectations for the post-election, uh, you know, pre-Christmas season. And I think they did pretty well with it this week, uh, mm -hmm. with, with a few notable exceptions. <laughs> Well, we're going to get into it, but that's exactly where I want to pivot to talk about the show and say hi to Liz's cat as well while we're at it, um, for those who are watching on, on YouTube. But yeah, no, I, I want to talk about the show because, um, you know, like this was a, a crucial point in the SNL season. This is, 
you know, anytime you're in an election season, all the eyeballs are on Saturday Night Live. How are they going to cover it? And it was very interesting that now that the election's over, we're going to talk about, you know, how SNL is going to handle this, you know, almost the beginning of the post-Trump era on SNL. And, you know, for the first episode back, we had no Jim Carrey, we had no Maya Rudolph, which made me feel like this was a, definitely like a different, you know, type of show than I was used to seeing the first few weeks. So Liz, let me bring you in. Tell me what you thought, you know, we're going to get into the cold open and the politics of it all. Uh, how did you feel about how SNL is starting to cover, you know, looking at potentially the Biden era down the future? Well, I think this week's, this week's cold open doesn't feel like a great example of how they're going to proceed going forward just because essentially this cold open was what they've been doing this whole season long, which is big political event happens. Let's bring in, uh, let's bring in like the obvious players to play the obvious characters and, you know, just kind of riff directly on, on events that happen. Like, I mean, it, 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 again, I, I think I made, I made this comment before, like, you know, they leaned into the easy, they lean into the easy stuff when they can. And yeah, repeated Rudy Giuliani fart jokes. Like that's what we call easy material. And admittedly, it was right there. You can't blame him for going for it. Um, I mean, the, the big exception is what you just said about how there were no major guest stars in, in that cold open, or really in general, I think, in this episode, like, you know, beyond them bringing in the musical guest uh, for, for yeah. a second. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, I mean, but beyond that, it was just kind of a pretty, the cold open, I thought, was a pretty easy, like, softball that they dealt. I think, like, the, like it, even just the fact that they brought in Cecily Strong as the woman whose name I'm blinking on, like literally on Twitter, someone had already cut together three days before they somebody had already cut together a girl you don't want to talk to at a party with that woman's testimony, and yeah, so SNL just brought her in, like the, again the easy play, but the obvious play, but also you know it was a it was a funny play. I will say that. Uh, the random uh, incorporation of Chloe Feynman's Nicole Kidman impression uh, was a, a surprise and a fun one. Like Chloe, yeah. uh, Chloe Feynman does a really good Nicole Kidman, so I'm glad she got to do it again. Uh, I was actually shocked by in in your breakdown of this of the episode the fact that she's only done it twice on the show. Uh, that that I I thought I would assume she'd done it more, but anyways. Uh, that's kind of what I, I mean. That's basically where I land on the cold open. It was an easy, it was easy all around, but you know, it, it for 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 what they're trying to do, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, so so this was this is interesting to me because uh, here's my two cents on the cold open. It's that uh, we all knew that Cecily Strong, if she was back in the building, was probably going to play Melissa Caron. Like right. everyone was talking about it for days and I don't have a problem that they did that. And I actually don't have a problem that they repeated a lot of lines. I mean, that is what SNL has been doing for, for years is, is, you know, like riffing on the actual events and I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, now saying all that, I don't mind also that, you know, Chloe played Nicole Kidman and Kyle Mooney and Andrew Dismukes played their Jack Flats characters, even though that was like a really random callback to a previous episode. But I actually but that a lot. Like, I love the idea that maybe SNL is starting to get back into the mode of recurring characters that, you know, can play across different areas. Okay. So, so me too. And that's a conversation that I want to have later on because that, that I do like, but I would say is that I really felt this cold open would have been better served if it was just one, two or three of them. But when you start bringing out the cavalcade of all the cast 
And then it kind of feels like, oh, you know, we need to throw Pete Davidson in here, or we need to throw Kyle Mooney in here, or we need to throw Ego in here. Like it just, it feels like they just need to find something for some of these people and it becomes a little bit unnecessary. And that's where I worry that potentially we're heading into problems with a large cast is like, we can talk about how having such a large cast means some people are not gonna be featured. That is like the obvious problem number one. But I also find sometimes when you have such a large cast, people end up getting roles that aren't adding to the comedy of the sketch and are just there to throw out, like here's another person in the cold open. Um, Andy, let me bring you in on that. Yeah, I, I mean, Look, Colin Jost is, is not Jim Downey or, or Al Franken. You know, I, I never get the sense that he's uh, politically in tune necessarily. It's not, I mean, you know, he seems like a smart guy, but it's not something that he's not a political junkie, in other words. You know, so what you get is with these cold opens is this, you know, like Liz was saying, like this mad lip approach to political satire, where it's almost like, like you guys are saying, it's just kind of inserting like the obvious headline moments or, or what Twitter's already covered. Um, so it's it's never particularly insightful or brilliant, you know? And again, like we're 12 years into, uh, you know, this this Sarah Palin, Tina Fey uh, moment in time. And uh, a lot of their, um, you know, political coverage seems to always be chasing that, not just with the obvious celebrity cameo casting, but with this rip from the headlines, let's just, you know, regurgitate what was, uh, you know, said earlier in the week by uh, by our politicians. Yeah, yeah. And and I think like, look, I, we're not, you know, I'll do with all due respect to Colin Jost and Ken Sublet, like who wrote the cold open. Uh, we're not comedy writers. I'm not saying that, you know, we could do a better job with it. But I do find that the general feeling about these cold opens is like, let's take the thing that's really weird in the news right now. And let's like, find one thing about it that we can take and we can enlarge so that it's so ridiculous that SNL can riff on that thing. And that's where I thought that they were going to go with the Biden impression and the carry stuff at the beginning of the season. That's kind of the theme of the stuff we've been talking about. And I still feel like that also applies to Giuliani as well, which is like, I guess they went for like, Kate's going to play Giuliani as like a dirty old man. But I mean, how different is that than what's happening in real life? So right. Right. It's just such like you would think that they would avoid hitting that pinata, you know, like it's just so, so goofy and, and creepy. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I do want to um, I, I had a really interesting conversation with somebody in, in the last couple of weeks, which is also and I'm sure this is a conversation that people listening to the podcast have heard before. But it's that, you know, all the late night shows cover this stuff every single night that right. it's almost like, um, you know, does SNL. Yeah, does SNL want to do, uh, you know, the Fallon thing or the Seth thing after, you know, that's been done during the week? I mean, Fallon, like, made some really funny jokes about that whole situation. It's like, does SNL run out of opportunities to do that? I don't know. But it's an interesting conversation. So, Bill, let me bring you in on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gotten to the point with the cold opens where, I mean, they're just so bloated and so long and so overdone. Uh, and I, I wonder how much of that is because of COVID and they're trying to keep the number of sketches. And, and we've talked about that before, where they're trying to limit the amount of sketches where they have to break down and set up again. Uh, but it, it's gotten out of hand. And and like you said, I mean, it's it's so many random characters. Like, was the My Pillow guy really necessary? I mean, Beck does a great Mike Lindell, but like, what's, what is the point of that? Like, what? Yeah, it's not organic. <laughs> yeah. No, but I... 
I will say like, I, sorry, I was gonna say on, a, on an individual level, like all those things are funny. Yes. It's just when you start, like it's, it feels like like a receiving line at a wedding. Like it's like, it's yeah. like one thing after another, after another, but right. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. There's no work. Yeah. I mean, in general, like this isn't an episode of Alias. There's no reason the cold open should be more than 10 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough um okay well 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 look i mean uh let's you know that that happened wait can i what add we... one more thing to that john always um, always you know, go ahead john lovitz, john lovitz once said that sketches need to be like mini movies right like there needs to be that beginning middle and end and you know somewhere i don't know if it's like a groundling thing maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before but somewhere along the line the style of comedy that is coming from a lot of these, um, you know, schools, or, you know, these these training programs. They don't focus on that kind of story-like arc, in my opinion. Like it's much more like random throwing, like joke, joke, joke at the wall, and then you get this, like we're talking about, this very inorganic characters just flying out of left field and light right field type of dynamic. If that makes sense. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, Andy, and I think we're gonna have another example of this to talk about very soon in this episode. Yeah. Um, definitely. Well, well, let's, uh, you know, before we get into like a little bit more about the episode, I, I do want to talk about, you know, we have two more cold opens before the, the end of the year. I assume we're probably going to see Jim Carrey and Maya Rudolph, um, again, before, you know, the year, you know, the year comes to an end, uh, especially with wig hosting the Christmas show. So, um, Liz, I mean, if you could give one piece of advice for something that you would like to see in the next two cold opens, uh, like a, you know, a political direction that we can go in to cover this stuff, what would you say? I mean, I think I talked about this one of the last times I was on the show uh, that the idea of, you know, really trying to figure out how to do political comedy without using without using Jim Carrey or Alec Baldwin or Maya Rudolph, like just really like like talking about politics without using the caricatures. And I think that would be that would be my advice. And I think especially given the fact that, OK, actually, I, I've, I, I, I. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I should have prepared by looking up the timeline of all this, these things. I forget when the Electoral College officially certifies results, but I imagine that politically looking forward to the next two weeks, whenever whatever episode follows that date, and let's please, somebody please look that up for me. I think it's tomorrow, right? Or well, I, I believe that the I believe the second recount in Georgia. Ha we're, we're recording this on Monday. I believe that happened today, so I'm pretty sure that we're getting really close to that. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's certified. It's really a question when the electoral call. <laughs> well, it's a week from today or tomorrow, I want to say. I thought it was like the 13th or 14th. Yeah. It might be the 14th, yes, I believe. Yeah, so the 14th sounds right. But what, So basically, it would be, it'll be the Kristen Wiig episode where that follows that. And theoretically, that would be when we officially have an, electoral, an election result. Uh, sorry, John. Uh, can, uh, American politics are sometimes incredible oh. No, no worries at all. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's very true. Uh, but yeah, so I think like basically looking forward at that, like I, I, I'm sure that in the Kristen Wiig episode, because of that, because because the electoral college will be done, um, I feel like then we'll have then I feel like it's probably the appropriate time. But I'd love to see next week's next week's episode with Timothy Chalamet do something that didn't necessarily involve the big guest stars and just, you know, found something interesting about politics that wasn't just directly riffing on uh, somebody farting. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, anyone, anyone else want to jump in Andy or Bill about the politics before we move on to the rest of the episode? 
Uh, I think Liz makes a great point that if they steered away from the uh, fart humor, um, that that might be a, a good recommendation. Um, but uh, otherwise, um, you know, I, I mean, it's it's hard to say because again, I think fundamentally, like in the show's bones, like this is kind of they're just their their approach. They they know what works. They know what gets clicks. Uh, they know what generates headlines. And you're not going to steer this train in another direction. You know. Um, I mean, the, the best I could say is, you know, maybe give the, the football to a guest writer, you know, maybe not Jim Downey, but I'm sure there's other politically minded comic writers out there uh, who could have kind of a unique town, uh, take on things. And, you know, it's it's not the cast. I, I think the cast is, is is pretty nimble with the material that they have. I, I think Beck has been, you know, as we've talked about on the show before, Beck has been kind of the unsung uh, MVP of these cold opens. And, you know, even having Cecily back, you know, uh, uh, you know, this was right down the middle for, her, um, you know, like with the judge, we talked about the, the girl you don't want to talk to at the party, but like also like J Judge Janine Pereiro, uh, like this was another like unhinged uh, conservative icon that that she just, you know, hit an easy ground rule double with. Uh, and oh, incidentally, I, I also wanted to, uh, to mention that I had an email uh, conversation with one Victoria Jackson who was uh, compared to um, this this viral uh, uh, drunken uh, voter fraud person earlier this week, and uh, she said that she Cecily Strong nailed her impression of the election fraud witness. Lauren didn't call me to do a cameo because you know Newsweek and Newsmax had, had said that this person was a Victoria Jackson clone, but so Lauren didn't call her. But Seth, Cecily did nail it. So straight from the, the horse's mouth right there. That is very generous of Ms. Jackson. Yes. <laughs> Andy, were you saying that Cecily nailed Victoria's impression or nailed the <laughs> nailed both, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. I you now kind of wish I could have seen Victoria Jackson's impression. Like I know. In a parallel universe, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, all right, Bill, let me bring you in. So uh, anything else you want to say about the politics? Uh, I I completely agree with both of them. I mean, it, it's just uh, to get away from the presidential part of it. And I, I, you didn't have any choice but to do that for the first few weeks. But now let's see it go back to the golden Jim Downey era where they did more offshoots. You know, there were Senate hearings. There were things that you, you know, they took different takes on it. You know, they never did a straight up Oliver North you know, sketch. It was, you know, about Iran. It wasn't. So I would love to see them go more in that direction, but I don't know how they get there. And I, I think that's, that's the biggest problem. And as Andy said, I mean, bringing in, you know, maybe a heavy hitter uh, guest writer to, to do such a thing would be great. Can I ask you guys a question? Uh, I, I don't really have an answer for it, but do you have like a personal favorite, like politically themed cold open? Like, is there one that comes to mind is like, that was good. That was, that was well done. Uh, I would say um, in the early nineties, there was uh, maybe it was, maybe it was late 91 or early 92. There was like a dinner party sketch with all the different democratic presidential nominees. Do you remember this one, Bill? And yes. like uh, um, Franken did um, Paul Simon and, and Phil Hartman did uh, Ted Kennedy. I think that era where you have Franken and Downey, you know, really uh, throwing fastballs down the middle to, to use another baseball metaphor. That is kind of stands out to me as, as the platonic ideal for what SNL can do with a political code open. 
or I, I always think of uh, the Ross Perot, James Tisdale, uh, where he's mm-hmm. driving him out into the woods because he did that horrible vice presidential debate. And who am yeah. I? How did I get here? Yeah. And <laughs> leaves him, drives off. That's right. Um, I, I look, I, I think for me, uh, Liz, it's it's a great question. I don't know that I would say that there's a political uh, cold open for me that I say is absolutely my favorite. But what I do love is that, um, you know, when I went and I did my rewatch of the show and I, I kind of learned Saturday Night Live, you know, from the beginning, from season one, you know, the first thing you see is Chevy Chase playing the president, but the president is an oaf and he falls down all the time. And, you know, that wasn't how the president actually was at the time i mean people criticized him but he wasn't falling everywhere and tripping it was just like this was a thing and then people began to associate the president of the united states as someone who trips all the time even though that never really happened and then you know you said the same thing where um you had dana carvey you know playing hw bush and you know a lot of times the things that dana carvey would say for hw or things that will ferrell would say for for george bush began to be associated with these politicians in a way that was like a take on the president and I think that is more interesting for the general audience than simply, um, you know, what's happening now, which is a lot of like retreads of the actual lines of what people are saying nowadays. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really, it's it's really fascinating. Like, I, you know, I, I I'm in California, and so I've had my you know share of ridiculous politics over the last twenty years. And something I tweeted in the summer of 2015 was we joked about Bush and he got elected. And then we joked about Schwarzenegger and he got elected as governor of California. And so that's why I can't joke about Trump. I started tweeting that in the summer of 2015. I just kept retweeting it like repeatedly over the following like year and a half. And uh, I, it's just, it's something that's really stuck with me. It's just like, we joke about politicians and that does humanize them to a degree that you know we can't really anticipate yeah yeah that's that's uh that's totally fair um okay so let's let's talk a little bit about the actual you know more about the episode bateman uh the bateman wallen episode uh for me like i said the way i look at the show and i know that not everybody looks at saturday Night Live the same but the way i look at the show was if i was going to go back and i was going to watch this episode in five years in 10 years in 15 years and think about the place that america and the world is now, I mean, there's a lot of things you think of. Obviously, you think of the Trump, you know, the election stuff. You think of Trump and Biden. You think of COVID. You think about, you know, this big cast. There's going to be a lot of elements. But, you know, it, it becomes interesting when you start talking about an episode, you know, like the Bateman episode on a micro level when I want to look at things from more of a macro level. So what I would say before we get into the discussion is that I think this was an okay episode of SNL. There was some good stuff. There was some bad stuff. And I want to delve deeper into it. But when you guys give your commentary in the episode, I do want you to kind of tell me about, you know, where you think this episode will fit in your mind, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road. So let me start with you, Liz. Tell me about, you know, some things you really liked, some things maybe you didn't, and, and keep that in mind, I guess. I mean, I think if it, looking back on this episode, I think the, the, the one, the two things that really stand out for me is one, how game Jason Bateman was and how engaged he was. Like he, I mean, he's in like nearly every sketch playing pretty significant roles and, you know, with the exception of the pulled open. But I thought, you know, he was, he really showed up to play and he, he got some great laughs, I thought. 
even even just like even like in say the Christmas conversation where he's really a supporting player, he just really is there to support the other characters and also just you know deliver on the on the premise. So that's the number one thing I'll, that'll stand out for me. And I think this is also going to be, I mean, fingers crossed. I hope. Like I've I've been on this podcast before saying how much I love Bo and Yang and how great a talent I think he is. And I think this episode was a perfect example of how well they can use him in roles that you wouldn't necessarily cast him in. And so you have him playing Elton John, you have him playing a Morgan Wallen. Like those are incredible, those are incredible things for him to be doing. And I, I really hope this is kind of like the turning point for him as a performer in the cast. And I, that where it's like, they realize just how good they have it with him and that they can keep moving that forward. So let me go back to Bill, uh, because uh, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, Jason Bateman and, and his history with the show. So Bill, as our resident super fan on the panel, tell me a little bit about what you remember from season 30, uh, Bateman hosting for the first time. Well, I, I love the fact that he immediately addresses the fact that he was in Monkeys Throwing Poop, which may be the most uh, notorious sketch of the last 15 years. Uh there are so many things in that episode. I mean, and there were good parts of that episode, but he's in that. He's uh, they have gaze in space. They have Horatio playing Chub Hottie. Like there is, it's a very up and down episode, and I feel like this this episode kind of mirrored that. Um, the monkey throwing throwing poop was just oh so bad. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of those things that that was, uh, I believe, one of the only times we got Sean Connery out of a celebrity Jeopardy sketch. So yeah, I that's, what I, I, yeah. that's yes. what I do remember that for. Um, Andy, what about you? What about you? What do you remember about Bateman and uh, comparing, you know, last time to this time? Well, I, I think that uh, this episode from from this past Saturday really redeemed Jason Bateman's promise as a as an SNL host. Frankly, you know, it's a little like uh, like Star Wars when. Uh, you know, Darth Vader uh, throws the Emperor into the tomb, and 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 you realize that Anakin is the chosen one. You know, I don't know if that's hyperbole or, or not, but you know, I, I got that sort of uh, general sensation. You know, seeing I thought this was a pretty stellar episode. Uh, I loved seeing uh, you know Bateman front and center. I thought the the pacing was really strong, uh, and I loved how uh, you know cast driven the episode was in general. Um, you know, so compared to almost how notorious the 2005 episode was with, with Jason Bateman, I thought there was a significant improvement. Yeah, I agree. And I, I know that there are some like comedy nerds out there who, uh, you know, maybe weren't so excited for the Bateman episode. But, you know, for me, it, I, I thought he was definitely a serviceable host. Um, would I say that all the sketches were amazing? No, but... I want to talk about those. So uh, Liz, let's, let me hear from you. Uh, were there sketches that you particularly liked in this episode? You know, I, I, I had several friends refer to outdoor cabaret as the coming of gay Christmas because you've got Cecily Strong doing a Judy, uh, a, a Judy Garland impression. And uh, all of the details of New York cabaret were really, really a spot on. So that was, that was, I think a really fun one. I, I'm super duper on the fence about the Mor Morgan Wallen sketch. Like I, on the one hand, really find it fascinating that they did it. I think that making it an apologia for, for, for uh, making an opportunity for him to say, yes, I screwed up, but isn't it great that I got a second chance is a really messed up situation. 
Uh, but I also kind of respect it happened. I don't know. It's like, I, 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 I'm always fascinated by moments when SNL is in dialogue with itself about its choices. And I think that's why that, that sketch pops out to me. Uh, and I thought the Christmas conversation, meanwhile, was just really solid. Um, and like, that was, that was, that was a sketch where it's like, it reflects every, everything that's going on. It's really funny. It brings out the best in performers. And, you know, that's, that's all you can really ask for sometimes. Uh, so Andy, one of the things that, you know, I really did want to talk about from what Liz was saying is this Morgan Wallen party sketch, because as mm -hmm. she said, you know, it is the show talking about itself. And that's always something that I personally love. So I am curious your opinion on that sketch. Right. I mean, there's there's a, a good way and a, a not so good way to, to definitely approach that. And uh, I, I think this particular sketch is a little bit of a double edged sword. You know, it's it's it's, it's SNL being winking and, and meta, which is, is certainly fun. But it's also kind of them having it both ways, um, I thought. Um, like on the, the one hand, the self-awareness is, is, is interesting to watch, like I said. But on the other, they're they're also kind of, um, you know, letting themselves off the hook. Uh, maybe not condoning the the fact that that he broke um, COVID protocol, but uh, they're they're forgiving it in a way that um, you know they're 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 not necessarily you know there's the lack of consistency. Let me let me put it that way. Like I, I agree with Liz that the uh, uh, that the Christmas um, pre tape was excellent. Tone was great, really well written, perfectly acted. But on the same show, within like 10 minutes, you have this Morgan Wallen sketch and there's there's kind of a disconnect in the messages there. Not that you need SNL to be giving messages necessarily, but just when you're coming to this public health dialogue, you know, you, you'd like the show to have a little bit more clarity about about what they're endorsing. I mean, yeah, I, uh, yeah like I have got, I've just got to say, like, you, you, you put it perfectly, like. You know, it's not just like, oh, he was just being a silly, you know, Morgan Wall was just being a silly old, you know, silly old goofball. And he just made, right. made a couple of bad mistakes. He put people's lives in jeopardy. And he, if he had gone on to do the show, he would have put an entire show's, you know, cast and crew in jeopardy. And, you know, even if he had, even if he didn't get infected, like the fact he did so knowingly act in that way, like it's, it's not just... Ooh, whoopsie. Uh, thank you for giving me a second chance. It's a serious issue. Right. Yeah. And it, it's not just the fact that they let him back, in my opinion, um, because I'm sure there's all sorts of back backstage yeah. stuff that, that you know, we don't know about. But it's just the fact that they then do a sketch where they're like, ha ha. And I'm like, guys, just have him perform. Like, don't rub our noses in the fact that you're having this double standard. You know, it just kind of, it's like the cold open. It's just like the, the muggingness and the, um, you know, the smugness of it. Uh, I, I find a little bothersome, frankly. I mean, is it, can it do, I feel like I saw some people speculate that contractually he had to come back. Like they That's had what to, I would assume, right? I mean, theoretically, but also it could just be Lauren really, like I, thinking back over the last several musical guests, like I know that SNL likes to switch it up and maybe they just really wanted somebody to represent country on the show and he was their guy and he agreed to fly to New York and right. uh, all that. So I don't know, but like, so it's not confirmed. No one has it confirmed that he was contractually, they, they were contractually obligated to make sure he performed at some point in the season. Right. And I know that Pete, I think in the sketch kind of jokingly mentioned that not a lot of people would are willing to travel yeah. to New York right now. But a part of me is like, is that true? <laughs> like, I, I understand, you know, all the public health, you know, uh, issues with it. 
but it's still SNL and it's still a huge deal to perform on SNL. And I feel like, uh, particularly now, you know, you get that shot, you're, you're going to take it. Um, so, uh, my hunch is that it is a contractual thing. Um, but who knows? B- Bill, let me ask you, what do you, you think about this sketch? Cause, uh, and, th- and then I'll go, cause I do have a different take on this. So Bill, go ahead. It left a really bad taste in my mouth, especially as uh, Andy was just mentioning, like right before that, they're showing this pre-tape and, and the last thing you see is stay safe from your friends at SNL. Yeah. And, People at home know, celebrate Christmas with your families, but all of us, all of us yeah. entertainment folk, we get to hang out. Like Right. And I just, I mean, I like the meta-ness of it. And I even didn't really have a problem with Morgan in the sketch. Um, you know, he seemed contrite as well as you can in a comedy sketch, but to make a joke about it and, you know, act like it was just, you know, kind of a strange whim that he happened to do this. Now he would have shown up there if he hadn't been caught on Instagram. Like that's what it comes down to. And, um, it's, it really left a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, that's a really Mm. good point because it's not just the fact that it's not just the fact that like, like, let's say, let's say he had gone through his, you know, Pre, you know the pre you know pre pre show you know protocols and gotten tested and gotten tested positive like and he had to bow out as a result that's one thing but like you said it's not even that he it's not even that it wasn't even that it's just that he got caught right he, and he and he and if if no if someone hadn't posted the instagram he would have just gone on and done the show yeah and so, what if they had to cancel the show that week all because of this one guy you know yeah. being careless 1200 miles away just not. Yeah. Uh, look, look, I, you know, I want to be very delicate about the way that I say this because I do respect all of your opinions in, in all honesty. I, re- I really do. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not just like, no, no, I'm not, but I, I, I do have a different take about this and I think that's okay because there are people that are going to listen to this who are not going to agree with all of you. And I want to just say that, um, I think that what Morgan Wallen did the week of the Bill Burr show was extremely irresponsible. I think he put people's lives at risk. It's a dangerous thing. And I, I've always said personally, and this is this is not an SNL stats view. This is a John view. This is um, that celebrities, uh, I know that, you know, you guys have talent, you act, you sing. But once you become of a certain status, you have a responsibility because there are people that look up to you. And for all the Morgan Wallen fans, um, you know, they were probably, I, I would think, pretty upset about some of the things that they were seeing for someone, you know, and, and I'm a country music fan and I, I like his music, but it was disappointing to see what happened. Saying all of that, I don't think this is a Shane Gillis situation. And for those who don't remember, there was a cast member who was almost hired for season 45 until people went back into his tweets and they found some really, you know, nasty things that he said in, in on a podcast and um, they didn't end up going ahead and having him on the show. But I, I think there's a there's a big difference between that situation and this situation. And that's this, is that we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. We don't know if Lorne Michaels has a conversation with Morgan Wallen and Morgan Wallen, um, you know, says like, hey, man, I, I, I messed up and, and I'm sorry. And I want to be a better representative and I want to move forward with all stuff. And, and you know, this is the one time that um, as a country singer, I get to perform in an area that people will listen to it that aren't necessarily country music fans. And I want to show them that, you know, I could be better. So that's one side. But then once, once that's already accepted and once the SNL says, Hey, we're going to give you that second chance at that point, the doors are open. 
So now I think you can make fun of it. So it's the thing is, is like, I wouldn't blame SNL if they said, hey, I'm not going to give Morgan Wallen that chance. But once they do give him the chance, go ahead and make it ridiculous and make it make fun of him. That's fine. But I don't think that SNL in their 46 year history has ever been the voice of reason for, you know, people's issues and things like that. So um, I hope what I'm saying is coherent. But I just think that, you know, once once they make the choice to have him on the show, I think it's at that point you can do what you want with him. But I would have been just as okay if, you know, contract stuff aside, if they said, we're not going to have you on the show and not going to give you that second chance. I don't know if anybody agrees with what I'm saying, but I just wanted to put that out there. I mean, I feel, I feel like you're not wrong about saying, you're right in saying it's not a Shane Gillis situation, if only because Shane Gillis, like, didn't have any shame, and clearly Morgan Wallen did. Um, and, you know... And Morgan Wallen, like you know, he he you know he he owned up to whatever happened. So I I I don't I I I definitely see like there being value in him being involved and him having the conversation and him expressing like remorse uh, to the degree he did. I just you know it's I I I feel like I it and at the very least we're having the conversation about what it means to be responsible and safe in this environment right now and. If that's if that's because SNL did a sketch that maybe crossed that didn't land the way it should, like you know, there are worse things that have happened in the world. Here's my thing: we're talking about a pandemic that that has killed you know over uh, a quarter of a, a million Americans' lives, and I, I think you know if the show is going to be you know shaming people or not shaming, but you know really you know wagging their finger that people need to skip Christmas with their their families. They shouldn't 10 minutes later be chumming around with a bunch of celebrities and making a bunch of in-jokes about kind of the same premise a little bit. Um, that's my take is, is there's a there's a tension there. There's a double standard there, um, you know, where, where entertainers are, are kind of allowed to give themselves a pass and, and give the give their friends a pass under the, the veneer of forgiveness or responsibility or what have you. But then when it comes to the general public, then it's, oh, well, people need to do the right thing and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, we got it. I, I don't need to be told not to skip, you know, Christmas with my family, SNL. Thank you, though. Thank you. Well, so I, I feel like there's, there's, this, is, this is taking it away from the political arena uh, a little bit. But I feel like you're, you just touched on something really interesting, Andy, which is the fact that, and, 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 you know, maybe this is a consequence of the internet era. Maybe it's a consequence of, you know, just the current writing staff, but you know we don't see SNL episodes looked at necessarily as complete whole. We don't have, we don't. We, there's a distinct. I feel like in in past years there you know have been episodes that have really been constructed around the idea of you know continuing narratives and like having callbacks and all that. Uh, I think I'm remembering. God, it's been forever since I've seen it. But there was an episode, wasn't there an episode where like Eddie Murphy was uh, speaking directly to the audience saying, we're going to kill this lobster? Yeah, Larry yes. Lobster. Larry yeah. lobster. Um, yeah. So it was like an ongoing bit through the episode and they had, and it was, it was, it, I remember it being hilarious. Um, but even like, and this is something I talked about when I was on the show one of the last times was uh, there was that really great Kyle Mooney sketch that ends with the ends with the uh, with the button on it is oh Kyle's tested positive for COVID, 
which would have been a totally fine, if totally fine ending for that sketch, except Kyle Mooney was then in the next live sketch. And uh, it was like, it, it, you just flip those two sketches and narrative wise, the episode still totally holds together and it makes sense. But I guess because everything gets packaged for YouTube now, it doesn't matter uh, necessarily, which, you know, that's, that's me being a cranky old grump. But at the same time, like, you know, it, it, it's fun to reward people who watch it live and watch mm -hmm. the complete episode versus just, uh, you know, you know, just yeah. individual sketches. So that's, yeah. that's, that's a complete, I think we've got a complete, you know, we've got completely off the rails from what, if what John was bringing up. Um, but but think, look, uh, it, the thing is, is if, if I'm not making sense, I can cut this out later. No, but, no, but, no, no, you're, you're no, no. I'm, but, I'm saying I, I took it on a weird tangent. Um, but I, no, that, that's fine. I, I guess, I guess what I'm like, if, if you don't mind me, like just trying to like bring it back a little bit is just that um, I think that there's going to, it's a very controversial sketch. Controversy right. about sketches over the years uh, leads to something that is talked about for a really long time. And there's a ton of sketches, Bill, you know, that we can think of over the years that are very controversial. SNL is not shy to be controversial. So the thing for me is, is just I want to balance that there are going to be people who are going to say, like, we're not taking light of the pandemic, but that once Morgan Wallen is on the episode, you can't not talk about it. So I don't know. Bill, what do you think? I think you can talk about it, but you could have found a better way to do it. And I think it's, I, I hate to use the phrase too soon because I don't really believe in that most of the time. I think pretty much everything is fair game almost immediately in comedy. But <laughs> this, when you're using the guy who broke the protocols to make the jokes, I think you can make COVID jokes in a in a good way. And I think you could have done a Morgan Wallen sketch in a good way. I just think wink, wink, nod, nod. Hey, if you had done this, you know, if you hadn't taken the selfie and kissed this random girl, you know, you could have been on the show two months ago. I, I, I just didn't like the way it was done. And maybe if they did it six months from now, when we all have a vaccine and, you know, but it was when it was, and, and that's how it went. You know, you know what I feel like might have worked is the more I think about it is, you know, Jason Bateman does his bit, talks about the monkey uh, in the monologue. And then Morgan Wong comes out during the monologue and you get some, you get a couple of jokes in there. He gets to be self-effaced and he gets to apologize. Yeah, which, right, uh, right. Sorry never came up in that sketch. Uh, and then right. move forward. Like, I think that could have, that, that I feel like is a way you could address okay, so, so Liz, I thought you were going to say, and this what it was, I think we nailed it. I, I think that he had to bring up what happened in, you know, 15 years ago. And then Morgan Wallen walks out and a monkey throws poop at Morgan Wallen's face <laughs> as like punishment. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And that's like the button on the whole thing. And then you, right. then you have your Morgan Wallen. Yeah, yeah, stage, so. that, no, that's, that's, I, I, you know, you should write for the show. That, yeah. that's <laughs> good. All right. So on that note, let's let's move on from this conversation. And uh, I do want to talk about uh, another sketch, which I found absolutely fascinating because I always go back to when Bill Hader was doing the Vincent Price stuff. And this is like a really famous line from Lorne. And he was like, why now? And that's what I was thinking when I was watching this Eminem Stan parody, which <laughs> yeah. to me was my my favorite thing of the night. I thought it was so funny, and and I I love Eminem and and the song, and it was just 
I, I like I couldn't believe that this was what I was watching and then Eminem comes on at the end and and, yeah. and it was just like to me it was just it was like a 9.5 out of 10 um but uh Bill let me talk to you I mean Eminem has like a rich history with SNL and uh you know like I brought up this this like is this the right time for this in the first place but I'm curious <laughs> your thoughts on it you get the feeling that Jason Bateman wanted to play Santa Claus because <laughs> he did it in two different sketches uh no, it was so great. And I, I'm a big Eminem fan as well. And it, it was just so well done. And, and you just, it highlighted Pete's strengths in such a great way. Um, and, and to have so much of the cast that you did, you know, Beck and Chloe and just filling in all the blanks. Uh, I was kind of obsessed with the fact that they had uh, Bowen wear Horatio's jacket. <laughs> <laughs> like how much did they have to bring that sucker in? But um <laughs> No, I mean, it, it was really well done. And, and and we've talked about it before. The pre-tapes have been phenomenal. I don't know if it's because they have more time to do them because there's not as many sketches in every episode. But um, yeah, it, it was really, they hit it out of the park. I, I'd put it at the top of the list. Go ahead, Liz. I was going to say schedule-wise, actually, I'm just realizing now, like, Bateman was in, he wasn't in the Guys Hang pre-tape, but he was in... Uh, he was in Christmas Conversation, and he was in Stu, which both of those were pre-tapes, uh, which two pre-tapes in one week uh, is pretty impressive, I feel. Because I know a lot of them get produced, like, off, you know, off schedule if they're not featuring the host. Right. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I agree. He was in a lot th this week. I mean, he was in seven sketches. Um, so if I if I did, I don't have Mike's rankings for uh, for this week. We'll cover them in a future podcast. But um, if I did have them, I could tell you that uh, Bateman would have a very high score. Um, but Andy, let's let's talk about this uh, Stu uh, <laughs> this Eminem one. Oh man, I I can't tell you guys how thrilled I was with this one. To be honest, I I'm a huge Eminem fan. I, I still post on an Eminem message board in 2020. <laughs> When I first started to hear that the 45 King beat, I, I was just tickled pink. I, I, let me tell you. Um, I mean, the, the question is why now, though? You know, and I, I think it, it kind of speaks to two things. Um, you know, the, the first, um, you know, to, to Bill's point, it, it's just such a great showcase for, for Pete Davidson. And, and Pete is absolutely um, the, the kind of uh, guy who, who came of age when, when Eminem was in his heyday. You know that 99 to 2002 period that that's you know kind of uh when 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 pete was in elementary school um you know and, and he's he's friends with mgk now uh so i'm sure that he's uh grappled with uh you know his opinions of eminem over the years and the second is stan has just kind of uh continued in, in pop culture since it came out in, in you know 2000 for the marshall mathers lp and uh, you know has has really taken on a, a life of its own as 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 a word as a, a, a as a part of a part of internet life, um, you know. So I, I think the show playing with both those facts, um, you know, really made sense for for this time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, was there any other sketches that you guys want to get into, like on a little bit more of a deeper level, uh, Bill? I don't, I don't think I asked you actually if if there was anything else that you liked or disliked you want to talk about. Um, love the outdoor cabaret. I think uh, it, I loved Cecily being back this week and uh, pairing her with Bowen was just such, uh, it was so great. And, and, and again, Bateman plays such a great straight guy, not being a straight guy. <laughs> like he, he, he was just so great as Devin in that sketch and all the, all the little jabs and uh, it was perfect. Yeah. 
that that hits okay. me right where I, I love I love sketches like that. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that was a, that was a really good one. Uh, any other ones you guys want to talk about? Um, could I just add that I I, I think just going back to the Eminem one again, that, <laughs> I, I looked it up, and um, John, you may know better than me, but this might be the first time that Eminem has has appeared in a sketch since he did the old time rappers on Update in like two thousand. Does that sound uh, right? Yes, I believe so. I know he has never cameoed on the show. He's always been a musical guest. Um, yeah. Yes, I believe you are right. Because uh, he did one sketch where it was him and Proof, and they were auditioning um, like male dancers. And I remember Catan came out and, and was dancing. Um, so I, I think this is his third time in like an actual sketch overall. Um, but I want to say that it's the first time since he did. Uh, it was it was Horatio Sands and Jerry Minor um, playing like old time rappers from the eighties. Yes. Yes. Anyway, I, I thought update was really strong this week as well, too, uh, to answer your question. Yeah. I mean, for all the stuff going on, I mean, like Andy, you would know this as an Eminem fan, but uh, Eminem has actually done like a lot of really funny stuff over the years. Um, mm -hmm. Like I could I, I could think of uh, to go completely off topic. I, I could think of like a college football interview he did once where he was completely in character the entire time. Um, <laughs> yeah, a very famous um, interview that you can look up. Um, OK, so so let's turn our conversation. I just want to basically put out a plea to the universe. I didn't like the, the, sleep, the sleepover sketch the first time I saw it. Didn't oh. like the second time I saw it. Don't really want to see it again. Please don't. It's not, it wasn't funny the first time. It wasn't really funny the second time. It's, it's a perfect example, Andy, what you're talking about where a sketch, it doesn't have a story. It's just, let's just randomly say a bunch of gross stuff and build up to this point and then it ends. Like. Mm -hmm. I, um, I think we've talked on, on this podcast before that the show now, they don't have recurring characters that they allow being in, in different scenarios, but they just repeat the same sketch yes. with different, different, you know, different hosts. I think it's really weird. I'm like, this is not, you know, it's not a new audience. You're, you have the same captive audience watching these things. We remember, and it, it doesn't get any funnier. Like it, the dynamic, dynamic doesn't change at all. Also, it was the first. It was the it was the first sketch after the monologue, which I feel like is usually supposed to be prime time for like that's when you put your biggest, your your best, your your best players in, and yeah. that was not it. Yeah, that was that's one of the things that I've repeatedly brought up as like my biggest gripe with the show is like you put your killer sketch there. Um, I know originally in dress that wasn't the first sketch after the monologue. I believe it was after the second commercial, but um, you know, like to me, like. A lot of people go to sleep at a certain time and and I, I think you want to have like your killer sketch and I'm just not sure that this was it. But uh, that is a really good point that I wanted to bring up, which was I've noticed from listening to conversation about SNL over the last five to 10 years, uh, you know, on certain podcasts is that there was a big complaint like right in the middle of the Kristen Wiig era of the show that there was too many recurring characters and recurring sketches. And I'm almost at the point where I actually miss some of that. And I don't know if the panel would agree with me, but I feel yeah. like it's just, Absolutely. it's been a staple of the show for so long that we just, you know, we, we had the um, Kate McKinnon alien one. And that's what I'd say, like, it's like the big one, uh, like the, the close encounters, that's the big one of this era. But, you know, probably since we had um, like the porn stars, you know, like a few, a few different Cecily ones. Like I can't think of one in the last few years that I would say is like representative of this era as like the recurring characters. Well, I think the big difference is you're talking the difference between a recurring sketch versus a recurring character is a recurring character. It's like 
I'm doing a bad job of this, but it's like, you know, it's Pat goes to the grocery store versus it's Pat versus goes to, you know, right. a, 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 you know, drugstore or other place where you buy things. I, I, again, I am not remembering it's Pat sketches very well, but the point <laughs> is that you can put, take it, you can take a recurring character and put it, put that character in different circumstances and you can have a new sketch recurring sketches where it's just like, let's basically do literally the exact same format, but change the jokes a little bit is that's, that's where, that's where you fall apart. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I also don't know that this sleepover sketch is so different than the ones where like Drake was the dad too. And they had like a sleepover as well. Like it's very similar to that. So this has been like a pattern, but, but I do agree with you. There is a large dis distinction between recurring characters and recurring sketches. And I do think that recurring characters, you know, we talk about what makes a cast member successful on SNL recurring characters, like your Bailey Gizmerts of the world, uh, you know, like those make you be remembered on SNL. Um, Bill, let me get your opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, they've gone from, feast to famine with the recurring characters i mean if you look at the late 80s all the way through the early 2000s they would trot out the same recurring character two three four five episodes in a row you know you think of hans and franz and the pat stevens show and and it was just never ending and that got to be tiresome but you can spread it out you can do it every three or four episodes and now they've gone completely away from that. And I mean, this sleepover sketch was a mess. It wasn't funny the first time. It wasn't funny this time. Um, as much as Bateman and, and Kate tried to save it, there was nothing there to save. And I would love to see them. It seems the only recurring characters we do see are on, on update, you know, the Baileys and the. Um, so I, I would love to see them get back to some of that. And uh, there's got to be a happy medium. <laughs> I just wanted to say, you know, on, on the subject of, of Bailey. You know, it. it I, I think that she's great. I, I love Heidi in general. Yes. Um, you know, I, and I think that Bailey is is one of her best characters. But she seems like such a perfect example of a character where, in a different era, she would be hosting her own show. You know, right. particularly this character is supposed to be, you know, a YouTube commentator. Why not have a sketch built around the fact that she's, you know, on her little YouTube channel commenting? It just seems like. You take her with the whole like subscribe stuff at the end. You you kind of take her out of uh, you know her strengths a little bit by having her be on something sort of old school like like update. Um, I mean, I do enjoy her playing off a of Che, but it just seems yeah. weird. Yeah, I mean, they literally have a template for doing this sort of thing already because there was the I think it was it was a it was a Jimmy Fallon and I'm forgetting the it's, it was it Bobby Moyhan or uh, I'm Horatio. Horatio. That was actually honestly my first instinct. But yeah, they had the they had they had a web series. Um, Jared's room. Yeah. 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 Jared's room. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Do, um, well, do well that. actually, funny enough, uh, Bailey Gizmert actually did a YouTube at home show for the at home show. Yes, yes. And it was better then. It was so perfect then. Just use yes. that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. So uh, like I said, I always ask for advice on this show that if you're going to advise the show, what you would, you would, what you would do. Um, that is one of those things that I would love to have. Um, I know that the show's response would be, well, in order to have a recurring characters or to have recurring characters, we need to have a killer first sketch in the first place in order to bring them back. So I, I think that, you know, hopefully we get some of those in the next few weeks um, as we move forward with season 46. Um, 
Yeah, so one of those things that I do want to talk about before we close out for the night is I want to talk about the cast a little bit. And this episode was interesting because we had a little bit of a different dynamic with the cast where you had Keenan and Chris who were in a pre-tape. I believe they are both out of the show. They're, fem- they're filming uh, Keenan's uh, sitcom right now. But you had Cecily Strong back. And right away, you can see what a force she is when she's back on the show. Like she completely dominates the sketches she's in. And she takes up like a lot of roles that, you know, when she wasn't there for the first six weeks, we're going to some other people. But uh, I was super impressed with, you know, like a few different cast members over the episode. But, you know, we're here to hear your thoughts. So, uh, Liz, tell me who stood out to you for the evening, some of the cast members. Well, I already talked about Bo and Yang and how, you know, and my deep, my deep adoration of him. Uh, you know, at this point, it feels it feels like it shouldn't need to be said that Kate McKinnon is just turning in incredible work every time. Like she definitely feels like one of those. It, it you know, I feel like there's always talk about how this is going to be her last season. I feel like we've been hearing that for the last three years, and this year it might actually be true. Who knows? Point is that she's going. She's she she never. No matter what, she's always so committed. Like when she's playing, when when she's in the when she's in a in a sketch, she's there, and I think there was some great stuff she pulled out. She like you said, she tried to save the the, the sleepover sketch, and she almost did it. So good for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, what about you? Any cast members stand out? Uh, absolutely, Bo and Yang. Once again, uh, I agree. Um, you know, I also thought uh, uh, Pete Davidson had a surprisingly strong show. Um, I feel like usually he's he's just left on his update island, but I, I think at the bottom of the ticker, he was in four or five episodes, which seems like a lot for him. Um, and then Chloe Feynman and, and Heidi Gardner. I, I think uh, Bowie, uh, Bo, Bowen, Heidi, and, and Chloe are, are, are the next the next wave, the future there. Sorry, really quickly. I just wanted to say a shout out to Lauren Holt, who I believe was the woman in who, who woman sit what playing the role of woman sitting next to Drew, Rudy Giuliani, and <laughs> didn't get a single line of dialogue, but really did her best. And said a lie from New York for the first time, which is always a big deal. So, congrats, congrats to Lauren. Um, okay, Bill, what about you? Uh, pretty much the same. Cecily, I think Beck had a good night. Um, I, we didn't really mention it with all the cold open talk, but Heidi's character in the cold open was fantastic. Talking about eating the ballots in different ways and spaghetti and, uh, and Bailey. I mean, she, she's just, she's my, all, she's my favorite at this point. Um, I think. She's I, thought you, really I thought you were about to say all time favorite. And I no, like, no, I, I stopped myself. <laughs> um, maybe one day. Um, maybe one yeah. day. Yeah. So I do want to talk about, um, you know, like quickly before uh, before we wrap up is the return of Cecily. Uh, does anyone have any opinion about this? Because we don't we don't have eighty back yet. But if Cecily and eighty do stick around for the rest of the season, do we feel like this is going to have a major negative impact on the other you know potentially the other women who are you know doing really great work so far this season? Liz, I'll start with you. Okay. Well, I mean, it's funny because I feel like. A lot, a lot of my favorite sketches is, you know, even just tonight, like uh, the Christmas conversation, that was like, and Bateman shows up for a little bit and uh, Keenan Thompson too. But beyond that, like it's a woman driven sketch. Like I think the idea of having, you know, too many women in a show is a fallacy, like, you know, just right for the cast you have. So I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's, it's, it's any problem in that case, especially because Cecily and 80 are so strong in their personas and so strong in their character work. Like 
the stuff they do, other people can't do. And the stuff that other women in the cast can do, they can't do necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so I think I, I, I am not, so I think basically the, the thing is, it's not specific to the women of the cast, it's just specific to the cast in general. Like there's yeah. a ton of mouths to feed. Well, the interesting thing is, Liz, uh, uh, what I would say is that we've had many seasons where we had these top male performers that take away from some of the other males on the show. And now we have somewhat of a more balanced male cast in terms of, you know, like we do have Beck, who, who is pretty consistently at the top of the list of people who get stuff every single week. But for the most part, you have like the men of the cast who uh, they're, they're uh, I guess their standard deviants is not so great between each other. But when you have someone like Cecily and Eddie on the show, sometimes you'll get weeks where the other women on the show don't get as much material as they should. And I guess that's just what I'm trying to say is that I would love to see all of the women of the cast get as much material as they possibly yeah. can get. No, that's actually very fair. And you know, by, like I, if you look at the numbers, I'm sure that, that that is all supported by it. I just think to come at it from the approach of, well, there are too many, you know, if, if these strong women show up on the show, then that, that's bad for the other women, is just coming at it from that attitude negates the possibility that maybe you just write for the cast you have and, the, you know, and, and really celebrate that. Like, I, I, I think, like, I mean, I, I've never stopped thinking about uh, that bit in Tina Fey's Bossy Pants where she talks about how, like, her first week on the show... Uh, they decided that instead of casting a woman in a Rocky sketch, uh, they would ca put Chris Kattan in a dress. And that, they, cause that for them felt like a funnier bit. Like, and it's, no, it's, it's in it, by, and she was very proud of the fact that by the end of her time on SNL, it was never considered funnier to just put a guy in a, in a dress than it was to actually cast a female comedian. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I, I love that you're on the panel and I love that you said that. So um, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with all that. I, I would say in the, the case of Cecily, um, you know, SNL Twitter was was recently having a, a conversation uh, around her. And uh, the consensus uh, seemed to be that Cecily might be the ex an example, like I think, John, you were kind of alluding to this, of we've seen everything that this this performer has. We've kind of seen all that, that Cecily's about comedically and, and, and talent-wise. And I, I think Kate might be in a, a similar, similar place um, where they, they just kind of feel like different planets in a solar system. And they're, they're not as connected to the cast itself or even to the show itself. It's almost like you have a little mini Cecily Strong show or segment, and then you have like a Kate McKinnon show segment. And uh, a part of me just wonders, you know, at, at a certain point when it's when it's time to to depart. Um, you know, it used to be you, you'd be on a show on on SNL for you know six maybe seven years, and uh, you know, again, John, you might have to fact check me, but I think in both the case of Cecily and, and Kate, they're they're at like nine. You know, same with eighty. Um, and I, I just kind of wonder at a certain point, it, it might be nice to kind of let the new generation take over and, and see how that changes the, the show fundamentally. Yeah. Um, Kate is at nine and a half and, uh, Cecily and Adie are both at nine, um, which is, uh, except for Keenan, obviously the top, uh, longevity of the cast. Uh, Bill, what about you? Yeah, I think, uh, I think Cecily is kind of the glue of this cast when you look at it. I mean, Kate gets a lot of the pub, but um, 
you know, you can put Cecily in almost anything and, and she shines. And I think it's very different from when Kristen was on the show. And I love Kristen, but she got all of the female roles um, for better or worse. And I think that there is the room, as Liz alludes to, that you can find a way for all of these uh, females to to uh, get good roles in the show as long as they're written to. Um, but it's it's the problem with the size of the cast in general. I mean, 20, 20 people is just way too many, and you're always going to have people left out. I found it kind of amazing how many people had between three and five sketches this week. Um, so I think there's a way to do it, and, uh, and if this is their last hurrah, then so be it, but um, hopefully she gets a lot of uh, airtime. I mean, I will say that, you know, we, we you know, we, we, met, we keep mentioning the, the 20-person cast, but because, you know, a lot of people are at, have been in and out, basically, all season long so far, like, we, I feel like we are getting to see more representation. Like, you know, yep. if Keenan was on more, if AD was on more, I don't think, you know, people who would otherwise be shuffled to the sidelines, like, would get as much attention. Like, AD, if AD was on the show right now, if she wasn't in, if she wasn't in Oregon shooting Shrill, she would probably have been a lady who's next to Rudy Giuliani uh, during during the opening opening sketch. That's kind of just the way that probably works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely makes sense. Um, okay, well, look, I, I loved the discussion we had tonight. It was lively and it was fun. And this is this is what you want from any SNL episode is to be able to have these conversations. Uh, let's let's talk about what's coming up. We got two more weeks before the Christmas holidays. We have Timothy Chalamet and we have Kristen Wiig, who, uh, if you don't know, is on the show forever. And uh, that should be a very exciting episode. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'll go across the panel. Can you guys give me uh, a couple things that you guys want to see in the next couple of weeks and what you're looking forward to? So Liz, I'll start with you. Um, I would really like to see Timothy Chalamet have a lot of fun. Uh, I am very much hoping that the monologue is not just, hi, I'm Timothy Chalamet, I'm really cute, and then all the, a bunch of female cast members rush up to him and say, remind him how cute he is. Like, I, the fact that I can just predict that right now, like, casually off the top of my head, means it's probably what's going to happen. Uh, but I hope they find something new and original to do with it. Uh, but yeah, I think, I, 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 I imagine he'll be kind of more on the sidelines than Jason Bateman was this week, but... Uh, I hope I hope there's at least one or two great showcases for him. Uh, and I mean, Kristen Wiig will kill it. Like, you know, just there, there are things that are easy to predict in this life. And one of them is that the Timothy Chalamet monologue will be about fangirls. And then that Kristen Wiig will also do a really, will do a fantastic job with her episode. Yeah. Uh, Andy. Well, for, for this coming episode with Timothy, I, I think there's, there's two things uh, that I'm looking forward to. The first, uh, is seeing how much of a sense of humor he has really you know he's he's kind of known as a, a dramatic actor um and I, I always think it's 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 either very good or very bad when you have someone um go outside their comfort zone a little bit um uh, on snl in that way uh so i'm i'm interested and, and looking forward to seeing that and then the second thing is you know uh chloe Feynman has a, a killer impersonation of him it's it's like her best impression and i would <laughs> like a dueling banjo type situation. Like maybe that could be the, the monologue. I would um, love that. That'd be amazing. But yeah, that, like that one seems right down the middle. Um, so I, I would love to see that play out in some way, like maybe like a mirror sketch between the two of them or something. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Off the yeah. top. So I that, love that. that's that. <laughs> uh, Bill. 
I mean, SNL never uses the per impersonator with the actual person in the sketch. They've never done that, right? So uh, <laughs> I think that's probably a given for this week. I, I mean, the Chalamet, as, as we've talked about before with first timers, uh, you just don't know what you're going to get. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I, I think, as Liz says, he will be on the sideline a lot more than uh, Jason was. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to the Kristen uh, episode. And I, I'd love to see, you know, when you see these people come back, the thing I want to see the most is them interact with people they weren't on the show with. So to see Kristen with Bowen or Heidi um, in some stellar sketches would be phenomenal. So that that's my hopes for that. Yeah. I, I'm going to note that uh, I, I have, I've never seen Timothy Chalamet do a lot of comedy, uh, but I will say that he was in it. If you, if you watch the the independence uh, independent film independent spirit awards uh the year that uh, he was nominated for call me by your name he uh was in the audience for of course to get his be you know for his award and uh he got roasted pretty hard by nick kroll and uh nick kroll, shoot why am i blanking on his name that's not possible uh, multi john mulaney uh they were hosting together and if you watch that monologue is amazing. It's worth watching just on the YouTubes, but he is very game, very much laughing along with the jokes that they tell, tell about him. So I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm based on that alone. I'm very optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely check that out. And, uh, and for me, like Chalamet gives me Harry Styles vibes um, just in terms of like last year when he was hosting, I know they're from different realms, but people were not looking forward to the Harry Styles episode. And I think that was one of the better episodes of last season, uh, in terms of like what they wrote for him and, and his demographics. So I think there's a lot of potential for next week. And of course the Kristen stuff, but we're going to have a lot of coverage of that episode because, uh, there's going to be a lot of hype for that. And potentially we're going to see if some of the cast members, could this be some of their final two episodes? We don't know, but it'll all be, uh, all be found out in the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, thank you guys so much for joining us this week. I, I love the conversation and uh, let's go around. Let's do some plugs. So Liz, where can people check out your work? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Lizlet. That's L-I-Z-L-E-T. Uh, my personal website is LizShannonMiller.com. And the bulk of the work I do right now is for Collider.com, uh, where you can find all sorts of great coverage of very important subject matter, like what's up with the Mandalorian this week anyway. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, Andy, what about you? Where can people interact with you? Just uh, you know, right here on on the Twitter. You know, I feel like Bailey uh, Gisbert when I when I do that. You know, hit the subscribe button. Um, but uh, at SL in review on uh, on Twitter, and then uh, I'm also doing the the weekly recaps for Entertainment Weekly for for SNL. Yeah. And uh, super fan Bill, uh, I know tonight was a little bit rough with the internet, but we're always happy to hear from you. So, uh, where can people reach out to you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at BKLove73. All right. Uh, great. Well, for everybody who listened, thank you so much for checking out the show. Uh, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube or on any podcatcher to never miss a show. Like I said, we had three really fun shows in the off weeks and we have three really fun sets of roundtables coming up. Uh, we had tonight's and then we had two for the next couple of weeks. And then I even have a special surprise for the Kristen Wig episode that we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks, but I'll keep that under wraps for now, but I'll let you guys know about that next week. So uh, please don't be afraid to reach out to me anytime at SNL stats on Twitter or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all over. So uh, check us out, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much, everybody for joining us. Good night and have a pleasant week ahead. We will see you next time. 